Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security, and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Ennevar. I am Clive Ennevar, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Anthony Igra about keeping a healthy cash flow by managing late payments. Anthony is the managing director of Contractors Debt Recovery, a company that specialises in recovering money owed to contractors and subcontractors in the construction industry. Every year, Anthony and his team recover over $6 million in payments to help his clients, many of whom are small business owners, keep trading, paying bills and looking after their families. Hello and welcome, Anthony Igra. Clive, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Absolutely great to have you here because almost every small business at some stage has problems with late payments. But mm. what about Anthony Igra? How did you get involved in all of this? Uh, it's, a, it's a story for the ages by complete accident. Um, I... Uh, I have no uh, people often think, oh, I'm a lawyer that's gone into this area, or I was in construction, and n- neither of those two, neither of those things are true. I'm, I'm what was uh, about to become an endangered species, a humble arts graduate, Clive. I could read and write, <laughs> two two skills that are shortly to disappear for want of expense, but. Um, uh, I, I was, um, I suppose we pick up the story around about 2000 and 2003. Um, I had, uh, my last work had been as an operations manager for a, a phone company and uh, I'd started dating a, uh, a young lady who's now my wife and uh, my future father-in-law was the commercial manager at the Electrical Contractors Association uh, in, in New South Wales. And he had some members who needed some operational help. So I got in and started to help them out. And um, in terms of processes, procedures, and how to grow properly, etc. And uh, they had quite a lot of debtors. And I'd never seen such debtors, seven figures, debtors in construction, ridiculous. And um, uh, my father-in-law said, you should look at the Security of Payment Act and see if you can help them. So... Um, I found that bit of legislation. It was only 25 pages. I had a read through and I said, well, this is just what I used to do at university for my literature degree. And my and by then I'd already had a master's of uh, business from Macquarie Graduate School of Management. This is really what I did then. You just have a read of something and then write an argument, a case and support it with evidence. That's exactly what I used to do. So I ran a couple of claims for that company I was working for uh, and it was successful. Uh, that's back in 2000 and 2005, that was around then, 2004, 2005, when the Act was very new in New South Wales. And it was very successful. I think the first claim recovered about $80,000. I had a closer look at it and I realised a few things. Number one, um, construction contractor, contractors have endless problems with payments. Uh, number two, they hate lawyers. Number three, they don't want to use lawyers, don't know lawyers. <laughs> Number four, can't afford lawyers. <laughs> Number five, never heard of the Act. 
and don't want to read it, don't really want to understand it, but want to get paid. So here was an unserviced group of people. So I thought perhaps I could step in there. I would say as well that in terms of solicitors and the Security Payment Act, uh, there's quite a few firms involved in that space now, but at that time, it wasn't seen as a very attractive avenue for, for, for law, legal firms because it doesn't include litigation. There's no, there's no court case. It's an adjudication where the matter is going to be decided by an adjudicator on written submissions. No one goes to court. So it's kind of was a very left field at the time. So I thought I could just niche myself in here and see how I go. Uh, so that's I started that in, in 2006. I started Contractors Debt Recovery and started just to specialise in debt recovery in the construction industry, using the Security of Payment Act to, um, to have the matter brought to a head, decided one way or the other by an adjudicator and to recover the money. That's how it, that's how it all started. Absolutely excellent story because isn't that how we start in business? We see an opportunity and we grab it, but some of us might grab it before we do the research that you talked about. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, there's people try to be scientific, but when you talk to business people, and particularly maybe some very successful business people, uh, often the answer they'll give you is, I saw an opportunity and I just had a gut feeling and I had a hunch and away I went and gave it a go. But another another thing to remember, at least for me, is is problems are markets. Look for a problem you can solve. And here I saw a pretty widespread problem and a, a very important problem that that they would really there would really be an interest in having it solved. Uh, but that's as you know, as we know, uh, not enough. You then you then face the marketing problem. So I started with I started with just identifying that as an area that I thought could benefit from um, a service provider, uh, which has proved correct. I mean, we do about um, 25% of all of those type of claims in New South Wales now and 15% of everything nationally now. Off a small base, it still has to penetrate its way all through. It's only been 20 years, Clive. You can't expect construction contractors to get across this in that time. Come on. So no. um, now otherwise I'd be retired by now. But no, um, it, it's, it's, it's certainly gaining traction. There's now a version of that act in every state in Australia. I started with New South Wales and gradually took hold. There's now kind of a push on to federalise it, just one act for the whole country. Um, so that's really how how it got um, started. Notwithstanding that you've obviously drawn attention to this area and you've done very well at it, it's obviously still going on and going on in greater numbers. If If you're collecting $6 million a year on behalf of clients who are, well, regretting a late payment and you're only doing 15% nationally of what's going on, there's quite a bit happening out there. Yeah, that, that's true. The thing with construction, though, and we can talk about business broadly in a second, but remember the numbers are pretty big. So $6 million, six million is, um, when you look at that as, as actual, actual matters, you know, it's, it's in all of New South Wales, in all of New South Wales, there's around seven to eight hundred cases decided a year you know so ours would be maybe a couple of hundred but over a couple of hundred um every year but you know they're forty thousand fifty thousand eighty thousand three hundred thousand etc so you actually have to look at, at the numbers it's actually just the tip of tip of the iceberg uh 
So the numbers blow it out. You can go, oh, well, gee, in WA, there's claims worth, you know, $800 million in the last quarter. Uh, yeah, there are, but one of those claims are for a gas pipeline for $400 million. So that's, <laughs> right. You've got to be careful that the dollar value doesn't, doesn't skew your understanding of what's actually going on. Yeah, so um, in reality, it, it is just a very small percentage of the overall industry. Yeah, it is. That's and it's, creating this issue. That's right. And look, debt recovery's boomed, I think, in the last, in the last 20 years. Um, and even we, we get endless calls that we can't help. General people owed money for things other than construction that I don't get involved in. Um, so it is, it is a, a quite a, a, a big a big problem, but um, the the two interesting things is that you know business owners just take so long to actually escalate the matter, to actually take on formal process to recover their money, or don't do it at all. Just say, oh well, I'll chalk it up to experience, and and off I go. At which point I say, I'll have it. Don't you want it? So the the thing is that very few of them want to get, I'll use the word dirty, but they, they don't want the confrontation involved in more formalised recovery and they shouldn't be afraid of it because they are responsible. As, as, as much as a business person is concerned with what they're actually delivering to clients, if it's a product, if it's a service, they also have a duty to the business itself, which is to pull the cash in. Their employers depend on that and that's why you're there. You're not there to do a good job and get a pat on the head. You're there to do a good job and get paid for it. Um, otherwise, it's not worth it. Construction contractors make that mistake all the time because what they um, they overlay their business with the perspective of a personal relationship with clients. They're even proud of it. They say, "Oh, it's really personal. We've got such a great relationship." And no, have a personal relationship with your friends and your family and your spouse. All those other people, they're customers. Customers get a benefit from your business and then they pay you for it. And the fact that they overlay it with this, this, this relationship perspective is what present, prevents them from effectively collecting what's owed and getting tough and escalating to formal debt recovery um, if they need to because they see it as, oh, gee, they'll think I'm a bad person. We were getting on so well. Yeah, none of that comes into it. You know, that's just all, all irrelevant. Sort of puts a, a nasty spin on the idea of of being friends with the potential customer or the existing customer because oh, yeah, they yeah. did it to you, didn't they? Yeah, that, that's right. And if, if you're so worried about the relationship, look at the relationship you're in. <laughs> They're just abusing it. They're just not paying you or taking long to pay you. What do they think of the relationship? And the thing is that don't use the word friends. They're customers and as a customer, they're entitled to be respectfully. You can have good relations with them. You deliver what you say you'll deliver. But at the end of the day, it's fee for service. Let's not, uh, let's not forget it. It's not, it's not service for some vague promise of a, a fee at, at, at some point. I've had people say to me, oh, we've got such a great relationship. I don't understand what's going on. We, we get on so well. Oh, really? How much you owed? 45 grand. Oh, God. For how long? Oh, two and a half years. What? 
Yeah, still getting along very well. Yeah, oh, well, I said, well, no wonder they're great friends. You've been working for free for two and a half years. I'd marry you for that. Keep going, you know. <laughs> um, so that that is, you, you have to kind of um, be very clear on the difference between a friend and a customer. Different dynamics are at work there. Which brings us to the point, of course, that in business we probably should be very, very clear at the start of the business, shouldn't we, in order to alleviate this problem? Yeah, I think, uh, look, uh, often often it'll be said, and it's quite right, that you need to be thinking about um, terms and conditions from the very beginning um, because that is going to populate everything you do from your first engagements with a prospect. They're not a customer, they're a prospect at that stage. From your prospect all the way through because you will then put together an offer, a proposal or a quote that should already start to be talking about payment terms. Uh, and the back end of that is you need to give those payment terms their own life. That means you live and breathe them. So if you take it, if it says you start with a 10% deposit and maybe the rest on completion or whatever it is, well then, God damn it, take the 10% deposit. You know, here are my terms. If this says a 50% deposit up front bill, have you got that? Oh, no, I never got that. Well, what point? So you have to make the terms live and breathe and providing you've set expectations, and I think that's an important phrase, setting payment expectations. If you do that at the beginning, you'll have no trouble all the way through so long as you make it live and breathe and people have committed to it. In my own business, our payment terms are absolutely crystal clear at the very beginning. I do not start any case unless I have those signed off. And the clients are very clear on it as to what they're going to be charged and at what point they're going to be charged. And, and then we're all clear, we're all good. Um, but, but again, with the friendship hat on, business owners think, oh, gee, it's not polite to ask for payment now. I'll hold off. I'll, I'll just wait a bit longer and da-da-da. Well, already you're going off the rails there. So um, if you set expectations and you make you live and breathe and walk the talk, of your payment terms, it really sets the scene for later on. It should be much, much easier. Yeah, something I try and uh, encourage people to do because once you've set those scenes and you do walk the walk, talk the talk and follow along, okay, we set expectations, now we're setting a precedent and whatever you do, of course, you're setting a precedent. The, the fellow who says, oh, it's all right, we'll put that off for a while, breaking his own rules all of a sudden he's in strife, isn't he? Well, that, that's right. I mean, uh, what is it? Solzhenitsyn, the Russian used to say, uh, you know, the Russian people have got the government they deserved <laughs> when he talked about the communist government um, yeah. way back when. But um, it's very true that businesses also get the customers they deserve. I mean, if you're, you're having a problem that you've invited into the room, why wouldn't you? If you're saying to the client, it's okay, I'll keep working for nothing for the moment, why wouldn't they ride that bus as long as they could? And you end up with the problem of then the very unpleasantness of being owed a lot of money that you've allowed to happen and then having to get immediately very, very tough uh, in order to get it back. You shouldn't let it get that far. So when you talk about um, payment terms or debt recovery or getting paid, there are two there are two halves to it. The half is what you've done before the payment problem and the other half is what you do when you've got one. 
and one informs the other. The more you do at the front end, the less you'll trouble you'll have at, have at the back. But making the payment terms real for the client in a polite way and as the way that we've signed off and agreed is really the best thing that you can do at, at the front end. And I often, I often use an example when I give talks and so on businesses will um, send a quote that has three bullet points of here's what I'll do and a price at the bottom. And um, maybe not even that, a lot of them have completely oral agreements yeah. or a phone call, the mobile phone. It's the worst thing that's ever happened in that respect or a text, you know. And, and I say, if you go down and get your pants dry cleaned, you're going to be told a price. That's price is going to be written on a little ticket that ticket's going to have terms on it. You're going to initial that and that's going to be given to you. Now, that $7 transaction to dry clean your pants has got more glue than the agreement you entered with your client for $25,000. How do you feel about that, numbnuts? And they'll be pretty <laughs> they'll be pretty embarrassed, but it's so important. Yes, I agree entirely. I often suggest to people that customer service issues are largely the choice of the service provider because you can have it at the start or you can have it at the back end. And the one at the start's pretty easy because if it's going to be an issue, you're not doing business, so you haven't got an issue. <laughs> and if you're going to have it at the back end, it's going to cost money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's you've you've got to look at you've got to look at the you, there's a great a lot of benefit to be gained from actually looking at your business and charting out the journey of your customer from prospect acquisition onboarding a new customer into your business or whatever you do all the way through to service delivery customer service and out the back end and the back end ought to be uh, either referrals or repeat business if you've done your job right okay um, and and then consider that journey and how do you maximize the customer experience all the time through that journey and in terms of payment, where you're going to be asking for money along that journey and making sure that you absolutely uh, stick to it. At the same time, I think uh, in order to make that as easy as possible, you should be asking for money at the, at the point at which or at points at which you've delivered value. So big upfront deposits, ugh, you know, I would get some deposit as a glue in across. I mean, we're talking about all sorts of businesses, who knows? But um, at the very end, I suppose, is when you've delivered the most value, if you've finished something for someone. But that is the time really to make your payment term uh, live and breathe. But the biggest mistake that's made is I've now delivered the most value, the job's done, and here's my invoice and excuse me while I just rack off for three months and you don't hear from me, goodbye, and off they go. And the client's got an invoice and they forget about it. Maybe they look at it. Maybe they don't do anything. And then the contractor or whoever's gone off and now they're going, oh, gee, they haven't paid. Oh, I'll give them another week. I'll give them another week, which is just another way of saying I'm scared of conflict. Yes. Um, I'll give them another week. And all of a sudden, the value in the client's mind, and this is very, I call this the, you know, the, the value, the payment value curve is um, the, all of a sudden, the works now, the clients had the work for six weeks, eight weeks, you know, in construction, you know, when people put their hand up and talk to me, eight months later on average, 
eight months. Eight months. But even make it three months. All the joy of the value you've delivered has dissipated. And all they've got now is this unpleasant dynamic where someone's now chasing me for money for something that I've gotten used to. So the thing to bear in mind is that um, value, and if you were to, to graph value and time, value on one axis, time along the other, the relationship is the more time that passes after you've delivered value, the less value it is. Value diminishes with time. And if you doubt that for a minute, let's just look at what businesses do. They've done a job for 20 grand. No one's paid. They're arguing and arguing. 12 months go by and the guy says, I'll give you five grand and we all go home. You'd probably take it. Why would you take it? What's different from the day you finished the job till now? Nothing except the passage of time. It's worth less in the client's mind because maybe they don't like it anymore. They've gotten used to it, whatever. The joy's gone. It's worth less in your mind because it's a year old. You've absorbed the loss. You're doing other work. You don't want it in your head anymore. So you take a lot less. So if business people understood this relationship, they'd be chasing their money far, far sooner at the point at which it's got the biggest grunt. When you've delivered that awesome thing for your client, they're going, wow, this is fantastic. That's the time to go pay me now. Pay me, pay me please. Right. That's the highest point of our excitement as a purchaser, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in those businesses where the model depends on a deposit, consider this, that your, your work is actually worth the most. Um, sometimes, in many instances, before it's even done because it only exists in your client's mind, in your customer's mind as the finished product. I don't know. Let's take an example of um, a swimming pool. So a guy who builds a pool, a person, business who builds pools, when they think of a pool, they think, oh, I've got to excavate it. I've got to put the piers around. I've got to waterproof. I've got to lay the cement. And these are all the things I'm going to have to do. This is what it's going to cost. But the customer is thinking about Sunday afternoon, six months from now, with all their mates around, paddling around in the summer, having a barbie. That's what's in there. That's what you're delivering for them, that experience, right? So that's the time to go, well, you know, whatever the law allows, I think it's 5% for domestic, but whatever. Here's sign. First of all, here's the contract terms. Read through that, sign it, and I'd like it to, whatever the deposit is. And they will do that gladly because they're thinking about that Sunday afternoon. So it's that's the end also, result, isn't it? Yeah. So that's that's also a value a value high point, you know. You know, too often I think uh, as service providers, we get tied up in providing the service rather than providing the outcome. Is that what you see? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, I think when you say providing the service, they they think about the process they need to engage in to deliver whatever it is they're delivering. And being paid for it seems to be secondary. Um, the outcome is just get it to the client who's screaming for it or who wants it. And it's kind of job done. You'd be amazed at how many businesses then don't even, like invoicing for the work is even like a task. Oh, I've delivered what I've said I'll deliver it. I'll get to the invoicing later. Well, that, that's the exciting bit, isn't it? And they, don't even, they don't even do that. So... You're right to the extent that the process 
the process is not just delivering that. You remember, you're responsible for a business. A business only exists to pull in revenue to make a profit. That's all, except it's not for profit, but assuming profit-based businesses, they exist to make profit. So your responsibility, responsibility runs far beyond just delivering 10 widgets to uh, a customer. You've got to deliver the widgets. You've got to get paid for the widgets. And then you've got to pay your expenses of the business, pay your staff, and then come out with some money at the end, um, hopefully. So um, it extends far beyond that. People just kind of fall over exhausted once everything's been dispatched to the client and think, gee, job done, I'll get to the rest later. Yes, and suddenly later becomes very much later. Yes, yeah, I, I had a I had a guy uh, a few years ago ring me up and he said, oh, I want, that's it, I've had it, I want you to chase this guy. I'm sick of it. I've had enough. I've given him every, every opportunity and I'm just going for the jugular. I said, well, how much do you owe? 20 grand. Uh-huh. And when did you finish the work for this guy? 12 years ago. <laughs> 12 years. 12. He's gone through the, the statute of limitations. He's gone through twice over. You got six years to sue. 12 years. Like that's a perfect example. That's right. It's uh, although it still wears on a person twelve years later. Uh, the oh, decision yeah. needed to be made right at the point of, of completion, and yeah. deal with it then. Uh, yeah, it only gets harder. It just gets harder and harder with time. I mean, when you when you go to a, a mercantile agent to do debt collection for you, the first question they can ask you is, "How old is it?" How old is it? Because it translates from the older it is, the harder it is to collect. And the older it is, the harder it is to collect the face value of the debt because of that time value thing we just discussed. Yes. So, okay, well, yeah, it's two years old and he owes me 20 grand. So, you know, gee, if I can come out with six or seven, we'd probably be doing all right. So, yes, it's um, amazing how quickly it diminishes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does because you think of your recovery options and the cost of recovery, that's part of the diminishment. That's part of the diminishment. If it's a lot, if it's a lot of money and your options are to go to court, immediately you're, you're thinking, how much do I have to drop what I'm chasing in order to um, avoid the legal costs? Right? So you want to avoid that. You want to avoid the whole thing from the very beginning by those things we spoke about uh, beforehand to deal with the matter before it even arises. Yes, get it done first and we don't have to worry. But we know that it's still going on. How can a person who is operating under the way we've been talking about, okay, you know, we want to do the job, we want to do the job, we're doing the job, we're doing the job, we've done the job, woohoo, that's fantastic, now I'm going on holiday and X time later, still hasn't been paid, oh, I forgot to ask. How do we change from that sort of approach to actually getting it right, right from the beginning? This is how it works. This is how I work. This is what you have to do so that we can be really, really clear. Well, uh, I think the clarity comes from the initial concept in your own mind that I'm doing this for a fee. I'm not doing this to be thanked or to be a nice person, although that comes into it. But ultimately, whatever I'm about to do, I'm about to do for a fee. 
because I'm going to give value to this this client, these people. I'm going to deliver value, and I'm doing this for a fee. And once you adopt that mindset, then that will how you think is dictates what you do. That will start to prompt you to um, get terms and conditions sorted out set those expectations with the client, get them to sign off on the terms and conditions. Here's a big one, not starting any work until those terms and conditions are accepted. Until you have acceptance, you don't start at all. Boom, so now you're going through and doing that. So that's that's before and then make those terms live and breathe. If, it, if you have problems through the way, you can always suspend work and you can say, look, term 5.3 requires this payment, you haven't made it. We don't want to say no, we'd like to keep working uh, for you and doing this job for you. We're going to suspend work until that's paid and then we'll move forward from there. You can do that politely. It's a commercial arrangement. Again, you see, no friends here. I'm being friendly, but I'm not your friend. So, um, you know, the, there's a great American negotiator guy called Herb Cohen and he, he put the mindset perfectly. He says, do I care about my customers? Yeah, sure, I care about them, but eh, not so much, which is kind of, which he later went on to explain what he meant, but he's explaining what I'm putting to you now, which is I care about them, but they're not my friends. I'm not going to throw away all this money for them, right? So you go through and you you suspend work or start work again. Now you're finished. So let's say there is a payment problem. So this is an important thing is you must have a defined recovery process, documented or that's accepted in your business. And there's no real surprises except the end bit, which I'll get to. But, you know, you have a time period upon which you send a reminder. Then there might be a period after which you'll do some phone follow-ups. Let me say a period, he's not three months, boys and girls. (laughs) We're talking days or maybe weeks the most. Phone call reminder, Final final written reminder. And um, after that, um, here's the key concept. And the, the concept is escalation. You have to escalate. Most businesses stop there with the same person chasing the debt. And they think that they are putting pressure on the client by resending the invoice, resending the letter of demand. I've sent, you know, I've got people saying to me, I sent my invoice every single day for six months and I do great. How did it work? I'm still owed the money. Good. So pathetic, right? (laughs) All all you're doing is you're training your debtor. They're now a debtor. They're not a client anymore. You're now training your debtor to ignore you and you're teaching them that by ignoring you, they don't have to pay you. That's the lesson, isn't it? Absolutely. uh, Everything that we do uh, garners some sort of reaction and if we keep getting the same reaction and we don't like it, we better change something. Well, yeah, yeah, the old adage of, you know, um, you're doing the same thing expecting a different outcome. You've trained your client to, to expect that if they ignore your email in your letter, all that's going to happen is you'll send them another email and letter for them to ignore. The one thing that won't happen is they won't have to pay. So you have to escalate. So how can you escalate? That means, escalate means that the more that time passes, the more, the harsher the repercussions for your debtor. So it may be that it escalates to a different person in the organisation. It might go from someone in accounts 
to the project, depending how busy or big your business is, someone in accounts to someone in to the business owner itself. And even if you've got a two-person business, you can still have the other person initially chase and then so it leaves it to be escalated to you. That means if the client hears from you, that's a change. That's an escalation. Something's changed, okay, rather than just the same, same person. If not you, then um, and you've attempted that or it's escalated to people within your organisation, so now escalate outside your organisation. So at that point, it escalates to a solicitor or it escalates to um, a mercantile agent, debt, debt recovery company. Um, and then it would escalate through that process from a demand from a solicitor or a debt collection company through to perhaps legal proceedings or, or other things. Now, this is, again, very important. Where can you escalate? I can escalate to court. Anyone can tell you that. But you can also escalate to formal mediation. You can escalate to there are community, at least in New South Wales, community justice centres where parties can meet to mediate a dispute. And here's a big one that doesn't get enough airplay. You can actually, the Office of the Small Business Commissioner in all Australian states offers a dispute resolution process where you can uh, meet at the Small Business Commissioner's offices. They have meeting, they have rooms there and have the matter um, mediated. So you can escalate. Now, they're not compulsory, those things, but they provide an avenue to escalate where you can be dragging your debtor to these fora in order to have the matter resolved. And then even if it does go legal, at least you've got this track record of documentation where you can say, well, I've tried to resolve it this way, this way, this way, and this way. That will also help you. So you've got you to escalate outside your organisation often to, um, to get some movement. And the other escalation is also to... Tribunal. So, you know, you've got NCAT, VCAT in Victoria and their equivalents around Australia, which are tribunals which have jurisdiction over many commercial disputes. Take it there. Another one is, here's another, sorry to rabbit on here, Clive, but there are many options. No, you're doing very well. This is, this is all important information because we've got a lot of people out there who might have already been through this situation and done nothing others who might be entering into this situation. So this is great news. Well, the, the last one I want to mention is depending, if you're in a larger type of contract, the contract will often have a dispute resolution clause and that clause will set out the dispute resolution process. Now think about that for a minute. That's a contract clause. That means your client, your debtor, has to engage with it. It's in the contract. And it'll say things like meet with um, the parties agree that the matter will be resolved by the chairperson of the commercial dispute centre in Sydney or, or equivalent elsewhere. It's a, well, God damn it, go do it. Go do it. Uh, I did that with one um, uh, debtor. They owed $530,000. And um, the, it had a dispute resolution clause where either party could take the matter to, I think it was called the Australian commercial disputes centre or something in Macquarie Street. So I went onto the website and it had a process. I filled out the application form. We paid that form. We paid our 100 bucks, And the wheels started turning, which would have required the parties to front up in front of a professional arbitrator and have the matter decided. Well, that is perfect example of escalation. They totally fo folded, paid the guys $530,000 
simply to avoid that agonizing process. Again, a perfect example of escalation. And here ended the lesson on escalation. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it highlights a particular point. Often the service provider has provided the service or products or whatever it is, and then not having been paid, they feel bad about having to, to go and do something about it. We don't want this uh, confrontation. Mm. But the person on the other side is probably feeling the same thing. As long as they can get away without the confrontation, they'll continue. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And often they're given that luxury. They're given the luxury of not having mm. no confrontation or not being held to account and not having the matter brought to a head. Because I know if it's brought to a head, I've got, I haven't got a leg to stand on. So it's my, my interest not to bring it to a head. So by escalating and bringing it to a head where it's going to be decided, it's going to come at some point where you're going to have to explain yourself. That's very powerful. That's a very powerful strategy. So um, the, the, that's, that's really the objective. I mean, often it's a house of cards. These people, these debtors know, God, if, if I really had to explain it, I couldn't really do it. And now that that triggers a few things. First of all, people don't want to look like an idiot. Even if they're totally morally bankrupt, in their own minds, they want to be seen to be doing the right thing and don't want to be exposed for doing the wrong thing. These are powerful drivers that, that help those matters get resolved when you escalate and put someone in a corner where they're going to have to explain themselves. That's been an absolutely excellent uh, explanation of the, the whole arrangement. Thank you, Anthony. But... Just want to see if I can pick your brain on a, a little thing that might help a lot of people out there in starting business land or even who've been in business for a good while. You told us earlier about how you got into the business that you're in mm. and you looked at this and you researched that and you went here and you went there. What was it that actually gave you the idea that it's a really good idea to do some research before you jump into something? Well, the short answer is I got a whopping big mortgage. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> I like it. That was, that was all the motivation I needed. <laughs> I, did I mention the birth of my first child? Yeah, that was a little motivated too. Um, look, I think uh, I think I was I was uh, luckily uh, well. I'd done um, a master's in business, and uh, it was enough to say you don't just you don't just. And I I do read the business press widely, and there's no more common story is there than people not doing your doing your thinking before jumping in um so i was very wary of that um but with this particular business with my particular business there was you were able to limit the downside in i, I didn't require the startup capital was pretty low it was really just started in the front room of my uh, apartment the sunroom of my apartment one desk one phone and just started there it was only really my time um which was at stake in order to to, to get it going so i think the most important thing is to identify a a market for an existing problem i think that's the firmest the firm basis you've got um you can look at these spectacular success stories from real innovators that try something totally untested and it takes off and, you know, it goes right through the roof. But for every one of those, there's 60 people that came up with something for which there was no market 
or for which there was a market, but at a price that people weren't prepared to pay or for which there was a market, but your way of solving their problem was so weird and bizarre, they weren't going to really accept it, were they? It wasn't going to be a viable way. So in my particular instance, um, what we were proposing was really helping them with uh, a process that had been established by law that they didn't know about, but they all knew the name of it. So there was an awareness of the name of the Security of Payment Act. It didn't take much capital to start. So the problem wasn't delivery of the... And they and they they people were used to the idea of going to a consultant or to someone to help them with something like that. Yeah. The, my problem, my particular problem was simply awareness. It wasn't the actual... Would the business would the business make sense? But to your broader question, I think people really have to think: Am I solving a problem? What will it cost for me to solve it? And will the client be prepared to pay it? Indeed, good news. As we come to the end of our conversation, Anthony, what is the best tip you have received from a business conversation? Uh, undoubtedly, the best tip is spend at least 20% of your time doing marketing, thinking of ways to uh, get client marketing or sales or prospecting or bringing in new business. Let's put it under that umbrella. 20% now, 20% is one full day out of your five-day week. Yep. Put that, that's an investment that pays off over an extended period of time. It involves a lot of work. It involves some expense and you can't invoice for any of it, unfortunately, <laughs> okay? I'll say that again. You can't invoice for any of it. And that's what turns people off. They're going, oh, God, I could I could come up with some this marketing program or that. Damn it, I've got this work sitting here. I've got the client screaming. I'll go and do that. You will never grow beyond a, a tiny something if that's the way that you think. You have to have faith in your efforts and to put a real effort in. And, and ultimately, what makes your business grow? Customers, new customers telling their friends, getting new referrals from new customers who then get new customers, tell their and so on, and it, and it grows from there. So 20% really is what you need to be doing. Most business owners look at it just here and there when I've got a bit of time, I'll, I'll do a little bit of marketing, I'll do a little bit of sales and marketing. No, it needs, there needs to be a formal time set aside to do it. And it needs as much focus as delivering your, your service products and services. And it will pay off um, um, if you do it right. And through trial and error, it will pay off in the long run, but you need to persistently be, be um, willing to put the time in. Good advice, uh, Anthony. Um, what's the top piece of advice you'd like to leave listeners with today? Uh, well, my, my bit of advice is, is um, don't quit just before you're about to succeed. So um, the, we, we, are, we are besieged with business success stories which are overnight or very fast on. Started the business at 11 in the morning and by 6 p.m. he's floated the company. You know, those, <laughs> it happens. But that's, it's mostly a slow, a slow, steady curve. You get to a tipping point where your business will take off. You've got to push, push. You, you Imagine pushing a boulder. When you start pushing the boulder, it's very, very hard. But as you build up speed, it gets easier and easier. And once you've got up good speed, you really just, it's just rolling itself. 
like a plane taking off once it's airborne is it's really just going ahead with the least amount of energy you need to be able to push the business up the hill until it's got some altitude and people give up just as they're about to hit that tipping point for me the tipping point took four years it took until 2010 before it was really sustaining that's four years of slog um even on a business that makes as much sense as mine, he says modestly. But, <laughs> but, but really, you know, uh, I do debt recovery for construction contractors. That's just like a no-brainer. Like everyone can see the connection. And even that took four years to get awareness. So people said, oh, yeah, this is a way forward. I can use this service. But I could have quit after three years. I could have said, oh, mate, I gave it three years. Really didn't pay off. It was really hard. And people said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Three years, gee, that's a long time. But no. Um, if you've done it right, you've got to go until you succeed. So the most important bit of advice is is don't quit just before you're about to succeed or because it's hard. That's the definition of starting a business. It is hard. It does take a while. You've got to put the investment in. Um, unless you're, you know, trying to sell ice cubes in in the Arctic Circle, um, you know, you need to be able to you need to be able to persist. That's the key. Yes, we've got to keep at it. We've got to keep at it. And for some people, of course, it's hard to see that uh, it might be just over the, you know, the next rise is where the, the gold is. And so they stop. But if we've got ourselves strategically placed to make sure that it's all going to happen and we're putting in our 20% into the front end, mm. it's all going to come out the back end. So very good. But most importantly, before I let you go, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Um, pretty easy to, to find. I'd be no good for undercover work, that's for sure. So um, two points are <laughs> the two points are uh, our website, which is contractorsdebtrecovery.com.au. Uh, you can find us there. I've got a pretty big LinkedIn profile, Anthony Igra, I-G-R-A. You'll find me on LinkedIn. Um and a lot of other places and you can connect through the website by email or by phone uh, or through uh, through LinkedIn. Um, and anyone who's been to our website will tell you we've got a lot of video and article content which tends to come up on Google searches um, as well. So um, not hard to find. And contractors' debt recovery is all one word, nothing fancy in the middle of it. Contractors' debt recovery au, Anthony, we could talk all day about this because there's all day to be talked about. Yeah. But <laughs> we've arrived at the end of our time. Thank you so much for being here. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a good chat. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.